Tina, what a musical! Welcome to the Joie de Vivre community, where we aim to put the joie into vivre. I am your host, Robin Priest, self-appointed cultural attaché to the discerning listener. We rate experiences as either marvellous or spiffing, tolerable or execrable. Today's podcast reviews Tina, the Tina Turner musical, which is still playing at the Aldwych Theatre in London, having been staged there since its world premiere in April 2018. Well, apart, that is, from 18 months of darkness, thanks to COVID. It is, of course, the eternally fascinating biography of Anna May Bullock, now better known as Tina Turner. She wove such a rich tapestry that it could probably fuel three or four musicals. The one we have is an absolutely spiffing show. It moves with pace, and the score is, of course, brilliant. But as you'll see, the show just falls slightly short of the marvellous category. Tina's story is quite remarkable. During her childhood and her partnership with Ike Turner, she directly or indirectly suffered from domestic violence. Anna May grew up in the evocatively named Nutbush, Tennessee, the daughter of, literally, cotton-picking sharecroppers. When she was ten, her mother had had enough of the constant and often violent fights with her husband, and one day just upped and left both her family and her home. Anna May's father departed soon thereafter, forcing her and her older sister Aline to be raised first by a cousin and then by their grandmother. When she died, they rejoined their estranged mother, who had made her new life in St. Louis. It was a fateful move for Anna She and her sister would frequent R&B clubs, even as teenagers. Aline was a barmaid at Club Manhattan, where Ike Turner's band, the Kings of Rhythm, would regularly perform. One night, while Tina was there watching the band, the drummer put a mic in front of her, and she started to join in. Ike ran over, saying, "'Girl, I didn't know you could sing!' At the age of seventeen, Anna May, like her sister, started dating one of the band members, and, presumably as a result of a failure of the rhythm method, became pregnant with her first son, Craig. Pretty much from the moment she was discovered by Ike, she began her first career as a rhythm and blues singer. Once she became a regular performer for Turner, he decided they needed to come up with a catchy name for their musical duo. He lighted on the somewhat prosaic Ike and Tina Turner review. But this, in fact, worked well. Tina married Ike some five years later in 1962. Ike seems to have been motivated primarily by a desire to control the musical output and career of Tina rather than anything else. The marriage did not start well. They had a quickie wedding in Tijuana, Mexico. This was bad enough in itself, but it just got worse from there, as, at Ike's insistence, the couple spent their first few hours as newlyweds, as you do, attending a live sex show at a brothel. As Tina said, the experience was so disturbing that I suppressed it, scratched it out, and created a different scenario, a fantasy of romantic elopement. Musically, however, there was no doubt but that Tina was the star of the Ike and Tina Turner Review, the electrifying performer 
audiences came to see, dancing and singing her way into their hearts. Ike, smartly, kept his own stage presence low-key, avoiding flamboyant moves and directing the band with the minimum of fuss. His songwriting, production and music direction were geared towards showcasing Tina. In contrast, the private relationship with Ike was abusive from the start. Tina described the first time he ever beat her. She had apparently the temerity to express concerns to a colleague about tying her name to his musically. When Ike heard about this, he, quite naturally, picked up a wooden shoe stretcher and beat her across the head with it. After the beating, Ike forced Tina to have sex with him, which left her thinking, you have really gotten yourself into something. This was possibly the understatement of the century. She has reported that Ike was merciless in his beatings, once throwing hot coffee in her face, resulting in third-degree burns, and one time breaking her jaw. Understandably, Tina became depressed and went to the doctor to claim that she was having trouble sleeping in order to get a prescription for drugs to combat the problem. That same night, she took 50 of the pills with the intent to end it all. She has confirmed that she truly wanted to die. Fortunately, she woke up. Initially, she was unhappy about this, but then came to the conclusion that it was a sign that she was meant to be alive, and she never attempted suicide again. Instead, she survived the ordeal of being tied to Ike by working constantly. They performed 300 days of the year, and by shutting out the cruel and heartless reality. Ike remained a ladies' man throughout his time with Tina. Diamond geezer that he was, he admitted that Tina was right to think he was sleeping around on her, because he most definitely was. To top this, he acquired a debilitating Class A drugs addiction, which further fueled the abuse of Turner. Tina, though, discovered Buddhism, and used meditation techniques to survive. Finally, in 1976, she gathered the strength to leave Ike while they were on tour, after 14 years of wedded misery. She left with precisely 36 cents and a mobile petrol card. She was swollen from beatings, in debt, and didn't even take her wigs. She just upped and left as her mother had done years earlier. She stopped in the first safe place she found, a Dallas Ramada Inn, and pleaded with the manager there to give her a room, which fortunately he did. Although life was better on the one hand, on the other, it was not any easier. Many promoters sued to recoup expenses and ticket sales for cancelled Ike and Tina Turner Review concerts, and Ike himself was out for blood. Once she filed for divorce, he would send his um, careless friends to intimidate her. One night, they went so far as to shoot bullets into her house. In 1985, Ike Turner responded to the long-running story that he'd beaten Tina during their marriage. It's years ago that I had a temper. I don't regret nothing I've ever done. Absolutely nothing, Ike said. Yeah, I hit her, but I didn't hit her more than the average guy beats his wife. We can now see why the Me Too movement became so necessary, 
and can only marvel that Tina stayed with him for as long as she did. And she only truly became free of Ike when he died in 2007, appropriately enough, from a cocaine overdose. At the time of the divorce, Tina was so keen to be rid of Ike that she left most of the assets with him, well, apart from two Jaguar cars and some furs. She also accepted responsibility not only for four children, two from Ike's earlier marriage, one from her union with Ike, and the one she brought into the marriage, but also for the liabilities arising from the cancelled concerts and one or two difficulties with the taxman. She was, however, astute enough to retain ownership of her stage name as part of the settlement. But all this meant she had to work unbelievably hard and took on whatever clubs, shows and TV engagements that she could seven nights a week. One of the recurrent rows Tina had with Ike was over the type of music she should sing. She realised that R&B was a dead end for her. She wanted to embrace rock and roll, which she so successfully did for the second part of her singing career. Mind you, she took this decision at a time when there were no solo female singers of colour in rock and roll. The glass ceiling had nothing on this. In 1979, Australian manager Roger Davis agreed to manage Turner after seeing her perform at the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco. Davis had managed the marvellous Olivia Newton-John to stardom and promised Tina instant results. However, until 1983, Tina was considered a nostalgia act, performing mostly at hotel ballrooms and clubs in the United States. However, that year, Davies did get her signed up with Capitol Records, who had previously dismissed her as being unsellable. After a couple of successful singles, Capitol agreed to a studio album. For reasons that are not clear, Tina was given just two weeks to record her private dancer album, which was released in May 1984. It sold a mere 10 million copies worldwide, becoming her most successful album. Capital also issued the album's second single, What's Love Got To Do With It? Though this song had perhaps questionable provenance, having previously been recorded by the pop group Bucks Fizz, yes, remember them, it ignited Tina's rock and roll career when it went to number one. Oh, and she won a Grammy for it as well. Tina's star rose further when she played opposite Mel Gibson in the 1985 post-apocalyptic film Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome. The two songs she recorded for the film, We Don't Need Another Hero and One of the Living, both became hits, with the latter winning her another Grammy. In July 1985, Tina performed at the Live Aid concert alongside Mick Jagger. Their performance shocked observers when Jagger ripped her skirt off. In 1986, Turner re released her sixth solo album, Break Every Rule, which reached number one in four countries and sold over five million copies worldwide in its first year. That same year, she received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Success piled on success. The hits kept rolling and record sales went multiple platinum. Her Foreign Affair album in 1989 reached number one in eight countries, 
sold over 6 million copies worldwide and included the international hit single, The Best. Tina's foreign affair album European Tour drew in nearly 4 million spectators, breaking the record for a European tour that was previously set by the Rolling Stones. She released her first greatest hits compilation, called Simply the Best, in October 1990, and this sold 7 million copies worldwide. Please bear in mind that by 1990, Tina was 51 years old, but strutted her stuff on stage like someone half that age. Tina did not, in fact, hang up her live performance boots until completing a 2009 UK tour at the age of 70. She decided, though, in October of 2021, to sell the rights to her music for $50 million. A snip for the buyer, in my view. Later that same month, Tina was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo artist. Most of her story is told in the musical. The show starts with her humble church beginnings, where little Anna Mae cannot sit still among the Tennessee congregation, and instead gets up to sing louder than anyone else in the room. Tina the Musical depicts Anna Mae's troubled relationships with her mother and father, and does not flinch at presenting the abusive partnership with Ike Turner. It is hereabouts, though, that we encounter one of the least convincing aspects of the musical, the domestic abuse scenes. I'm afraid they are not remotely realistic and arguably trivialize this appalling behavior. In a word, they are crass. Aisha Jowando currently stars as Anime Bullock as she transforms into superstar Tina Turner. Jowando doesn't much resemble Tina, but her voice has the same gravelly, rocky tones, and with a blonde 1980s mullet wig, miniskirt, and jerky, entirely Tina-esque moves, you'll be forgiven for wondering if you've been transported to an actual Tina Turner concert. Ike is played by Jamie Casango, who brings the alternately violent, cheating, and charming male Turner to life, convincingly portraying his jealousy as Tina comes completely to overshadow him. This does not, however, stop him from embracing the swinging 60s with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The abuse is turned up a savage notch, when Tina records River Deep, Mountain High with Phil Spector, and Ike is told he simply isn't needed. As a black woman in her 40s, Tina is called a has-been, and much worse, by the Capitol Records executives. It must have been particularly sweet for Tina to prove them 100% wrong with what's love got to do with it. As we've discussed, she came to thank Australian manager Roger Davis for her rock and roll rebirth. He is played quirkily by Garmin Reese, and while this performance is at times charming and amusing, it is also a tad irritating. The first half of Tina interweaves the abuse she had to endure from Ike with intoxicating performances of her early hits, including A Fool in Love, Higher, I Can't Stand the Rain, Let's Stay Together, and the marvellous and poignant River Deep, Mountain High. The hits just keep on rolling in the second half as it fast-forwards to the 80s, where the icon is free from her abuser and relaunches as a solo artist, and we get treated to Private Dancer, Simply the Best, Tonight, We Don't Need Another Hero, and above all, the truly iconic 
What's Love Got to Do With It? All of these songs are absolute classics. If you've not before tuned into Tina, now is the time to start. The musical also shows her burgeoning relationship with German music executive Erwin Bach, well played by Joseph Richardson. It is not totally true to life, as in fact Tina and Erwin met originally in 1985 at a record label party in London. Though Erwin was considerably younger than Tina, the relationship has endured, and they eventually married in 2013. This is beyond the scope of the musical, which also does not deal with the tragedies later in Tina's life. Tina suffered a stroke just three weeks after her marriage to Erwin, rendering her unable to walk. Being Tina, she got through that, learning how to walk all over again, only to be struck down in 2016 with intestinal cancer. Turning down standard medical treatments in favour of homeopathic remedies turned out to be a bad idea and eventually caused Tina total kidney failure. The redoubtable and caring Irwin stepped in as the kidney donor. The transplant took place in 2017 and was mostly a success, though Turner now suffers from dizziness, forgetfulness, anxiety and a couple of unmentionable things as a result of her body trying to reject the organ but the legend still lives. The other tragic event of her later life was the suicide of her first son Craig at the age of 59 in July 2018, not long after the start of the London musical. These later events would of course have put a bit of a dampener on the musical, and since the climax of the show is absolutely fabulous, a rock concert performance of What's Love Got To Do With It that had the entire audience on its feet clapping and singing along in a way that would put a revival church service to shame. It is a fitting coda for an extraordinarily talented and resilient woman. They certainly don't make them like that anymore. Do go and see this show. It will inspire you. I might also say that the ice creams are readily accessible at the Aldwych, which makes a pleasant change. I've been playing Tina on my Sonos ever since I saw it, and I think you will too.